This morning, I had the privilege of preaching a very humbling, very exciting and, and encouraging lesson as we stop to consider the question of Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, when Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? I do not know the Lord. And we answered that question, who is the Lord that I should obey him? With the first and Old Testament portion of a little two-part sermon mini-series that we are going to finish up tonight entitled, The God Of. We're going to finish that tonight by focusing a little bit more on the phrase, the God of, from the New Testament. I want to begin with a look at that phrase, the God of, and expanding on it a little from the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 22, as I've asked you to turn to, as well as in Mark chapter 12 and Luke chapter 20, we have the account of the scribes going to Jesus to ask him a question to test him, to trap him. You'll recall that the scribes did not believe in the afterlife. They did not believe in life after death. We know this from Acts 23 and verse 8. And so they come to Jesus with this question based on what happens after you die. And it is in Matthew's account that during that time we find that often misidentified phrase of love, and that's exactly what it is, where it says, you are mistaken, for you do not know the scriptures, nor the power of God. Let's take a look at that passage. Luke 22, I'm sorry, Matthew 22, beginning at verse 23. It says this. When they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way, is verse 22. That same day, verse 23, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married, and having no offspring, he left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be, for they all had her? Of course, Jesus knows they don't believe in resurrection anyway, and he understands that. And so he knows that they're mistaken for thinking there is no resurrection. He knows that they're mistaken in their premise. And he says, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. So he's kind of answered their question, but then he goes on a little further and he says, but concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God saying, I am the God of, there's our phrase, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Now, again, we see our phrase, the God of, but what 
Jesus is letting them know is that there is indeed a resurrection because Abraham's still alive somewhere, right? If God is the God of the living and he's the God of Abraham, then Abraham's still living somewhere. So there is a resurrection and, and that's what he's trying to get across. As one commentator said, the passage Jesus quotes is Exodus chapter 3, verses 6 through 15. These three men had long been dead when, roses, when Moses wrote this. Abraham, 329 years. Isaac, 224 years. And Jacob, 198 years. All three of those men had been dead when Moses wrote what he did in Exodus chapter 3 yet he was still their God. They must therefore be still somewhere living, for God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And that is exactly Jesus' point. And we know where Abraham is. We can verify where Abraham is, and presumably the other two patriarch, patriarchs as well. But we can know where Abraham is, Luke 16 and verse 19, the account of the rich man and Lazarus. And, and we know in Abraham's bosom, Abraham was there. So, we know where he is. But as we consider tonight that phrase, the God of the living, there's another application of that that I want for us to consider. There's another application of that that should bring us great joy and great strength and great comfort. And I want us to really delve into this. He is not the God of the dead, but the living. The word dead in the scriptures is often used to talk about those who are spiritually dead. Okay? Those not following, those not submitting to, and those not belonging to the Lord God Almighty. The, the, the phrase dead is used of those who are spiritually dead. They're still walking around, they're still talking, they're still breathing, they're still out there in the world. They're physically living, but they're dead. Jesus lets us know this. In Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 60. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, which we will be getting to shortly. In 1 Timothy 5 and verse 6, he talks about the widows there, who even though they're alive, they're still dead. They're spiritually dead. They're separated from God because they're living for themselves and not for God. They may be breathing and walking and talking and moving around, but they're dead. They are the walking dead. And for those who are in that state, God is not their God, Luke 6 and verse 46. He said, why do you call me Lord? Lord, and not do what I say. Their God is the ruler of this world, which, which Jesus makes clear in John 12, 31 and 14, 10 and 16, 11. Listen, this idea of being dead, separated from God, it's what dead means, separated, is what you and I were. You were there, you were dead without Jesus Christ. You were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. Turn with me to Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2. So many things as I talked about this morning that we celebrate our God who is the God of all of those wonderful, incredible things. One of the things that we come together to celebrate on Sundays is the fact that we were once dead in our trespasses and sins. But the God of the living gave us life. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, it says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, obviously, he's not writing to people that are physically dead. They couldn't read it. He's talking to people who were dead in their sins. He said, In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Paul said we were all dead in our sins. We were all living for ourselves. We were separated from God. We couldn't, we couldn't reconnect with God because it says in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, our sins had separated us from God. And, and so we were dead, even though we were interacting and, and walking and talking and breathing and living for ourselves. But God, verse 4, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Aren't you glad to be alive to God tonight in Christ? He's the God of the living. He's the God of those people who are alive spiritually to him in Christ. Look at verse 11. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called a circumcision made in the flesh by hands. In other words, you pagans that, that weren't Jewish by descent. That at that time you were without Christ. Do you remember what it was like to be without Christ? You see, we all know that, that before our baptism into Christ that we were without Christ. We were without God and without hope in the world. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. Maybe if you've been a Christian a long time, it's hard to remember what life was like without Christ. But stop and think about everything you know now about being a Christian, about the hope you have. And I realize that someday, sometimes we struggle with things, but think about the hope you have. Think about the confidence you have. Think about the assurance you have in Christ. If all of a sudden that was all gone and you didn't have Jesus, to me that's a, that is beyond words scary. And so we come to celebrate this God of the living because he has made us alive in Christ. Even though we were, at that time, Ephesians 2 and verse 12, without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Just reading those words almost makes me want to just shudder and just cringe a little. But I love the next verse. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Verse 14. He goes on in verse 19 to say, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I am God's child by adoption. Isn't that awesome to be able to say that? Remember God we talked about this morning and all that he is, the creator of the universe, the God of mercy, all, of the, all those things, all those incredible things we talked about this morning. That God, 
And I mean, I, I don't mean this irreverently, I mean this very reverently, but that God is my Father because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why I come to celebrate on Sunday. And Paul is trying to get the Ephesians to understand what is the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of the love of God, that this God has made them his children. We are being, verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We are being built together so that God can live amongst us. Isn't that awesome? Remember what you said this morning? God lives in his people, amongst his people. He meets us at this table, just as he said he would. It is vital, it is critical, it is crucial for us to understand that we go from being dead in our sins, without God and without hope in the world, to being spiritually alive and having God as our Father because he is the God of the living, though spiritually alive. And that happens when we are baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. You know, people get all hung up on this baptism thing. People out in the world, well, you believe in water salvation, that sort of thing. And, and, and sometimes I know at the, end of, at the end of every service we offer that invitation to be baptized. And, and, and like anything that you do repeatedly, it can somehow lose its luster. I mean, if you do the same thing time after time after time after time after time after, well, you get the picture. You, you can get so used to it that it becomes mundane. The, the holy can become the unholy. The, the, the special can become the normal. We just get in this rut and in this grind. People, we have to understand that our baptism into Christ is where we become children of the living God. That's the place. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 11. That is where the God of the living becomes our God and Father. When we are baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and we are made alive to God in Christ, becoming a child of the living God. Look with me in Romans chapter 9. Just like the pagans at that time, any of us that were dead in our sins have that offer and that gift. And the God of, of love, the God of the New Testament, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that God offers this to us free. Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 22, Paul explains it this way to the Church of Christ in first century Rome. He says, what if God, Romans 9, 22, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory even us whom he called not of the Jews only but also of the Gentiles Paul's question is if I may paraphrase it's like this is what if this was the whole plan of God to begin with that God showed himself to a people and allowed those people as it were to reject him, and they became vessels of wrath prepared for destruction by their own free will. What if he went through that whole process in the Old Testament that he might make known to us, us, that is all of us, 
who would accept this gift of Christ Jesus and his blood in order to make known to us his beautiful plan and share his glory with us, which is exactly what happened. As he also says in Hosea, Romans 9, 25, I will call them my people who were not my people, and her beloved who was not beloved, and it'll come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. That's you and me, we're Gentiles, you were not my people. There they shall be called sons of the living God. And as the God of the living, Matthew 22, that we began with, and as the living God himself, Romans 9, in verse 26, it is at that point of our baptism that he gives us every living thing that we could ever want or imagine. Every living thing far above and beyond our ability to comprehend. Have you ever stopped to think about what we as, as children of the God of the living and the living God have been given that is living? We have many living things. Keyword, living. The God of the living has given us living water. John 4 and verse 10. John 7 and 38. We have the living water. The God of the living has provided us with living bread. That manna that came down out of heaven, John chapter 6 and verse 51. As the God of the living, he has given us the living oracles. Acts chapter 7 and verse 38, that is the living word. As the God of the living, he came to live with his children, with us, just as he promised in John 14 and verse 23, making us to be the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 16. The living God lives in his living people, those who are alive to him. But the list doesn't stop there. As the God of the living, he has given us his word, which is living and alive and well as well. Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. As the God of the living, he has provided those who would accept his love and become his blood-bought children with a new and living way into his presence, a new and, and living way into his holy presence through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. You and I have this new and living way open to us. We don't have to go through <clears throat> these animal sacrifices, and, and we don't have to go through these priests of the Old Testament. We have this, this beautiful new and living way and access to God through Christ Jesus. They didn't have that in the Old Testament. We have that. But that's what it means to belong to the God of the living, Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. As the God of the living, Take a look at what the apostles Peter and John had to say in this same vein. Turn with me to 1 Peter 1. He is the God of the living. And the beauty of that is as you're turning to 1 Peter chapter 1, 
we gain new life here on earth and we're alive to God in Christ Jesus and that carries us through all the way through eternity where we will live with him forever we become alive to God in in first Peter chapter 1 we look at verse 3 it says blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his abundant mercy his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I have a living hope. I have a living hope, not a dead hope. And the reason I have a living hope is because the tomb is empty. That's what we celebrate right here, right? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ every Sunday. I have a living hope. My hope is not based upon somebody that's, that's dead. My hope is not based on some words of man that is dead. My hope is not based upon some process that, that is dead. My hope is based on Jesus Christ who appeared to so many of them in 500 at one time. Him who appeared to Peter and, and to, to the apostles and, and last of all to Paul. My hope is living because my Lord is alive from the dead. Peter goes on to say in 1 Peter 2 beginning at verse 4. Coming to him as a living stone, Jesus is not dead. Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. See, that's what Jesus is. He's chosen by God and precious. But you know what? You're precious to God too. Look at the next verse. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You're being built up as a spiritual house, as a royal priesthood. Why? You have a purpose. You know what your purpose is? To praise God. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. One of the reasons that we are saved is so that we can praise God and show the rest of the world what we have. He'll say that again later on in this very chapter. Turn to me to the book of Revelation. Look what John wrote, Revelation chapter 7. As the God of the living, take a look at what John said in Revelation 7. These people that have left this earth who belong to God are not dead, they're living. Then one of the elders, verse 13 of Revelation 7, answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes? Where do they come from? And I said, Sir, you know. He said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. Not dead fountains, living fountains. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Brethren, while we're going to enjoy that on an advanced level in heaven, we still enjoy that right here today. Do you have a living hope? Do you have a living God? Is the God of the living your God? Can God comfort you in all of your affliction today? Can you walk with him because you've been cleansed by the blood today? Yes, all of these things. 
Consider with me for a moment a brief summation of all of these things I just said, which the God of the living has given to all of those he has made alive in Christ Jesus. We have a new life. We have a new and living way into his presence. He's made us living stones in his living church. He has given us his living word. He has given us a living hope, as well as the opportunity to live eternally with him truly. God is the God of the living. But you know that's not all? You just can't, God just keeps building it up, doesn't he? You know that's not all that God is? He's not just the God of the living. He's so much more. And he gives so much more to all of his children who accept it. He is also the God of peace. The God of peace. God wanted peace with you. Peace between you and him. Even though you had sinned, he wanted it so badly to restore it that he was willing to give the most perfect and priceless gift of heaven. God, God it, didn't matter. it didn't matter what it cost. You ever wanted something, you say, it don't matter what it cost. It don't, it don't matter. This gift cost God his son. It cost God giving up the glories of heaven. It, it, it cost God all of that because, because he wants to have peace with you so much. He can't have that peace between he who is holy and those who are unholy. There's a war there that you can't, that there's a conflict, there's a chasm, there's no peace. And, and he wanted that peace so much. He is the God of peace that he gave the purest, most perfect, and priceless, most priceless gift that heaven had to offer in order to make peace with you once again. Romans chapter 5. He is the God of peace. Romans chapter 5, beginning verse 1. Therefore, having been justified with God, having been justified by faith, we have, notice that's current tense, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not all. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have peace with God in Christ Jesus. We have peace because we've been justified by our faith, and it's, at, it's Jesus that gives us access into that faith. This is just a, a beautiful recurring circle. But that's not all, not only that, verse three, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. He is the God of peace, brethren. And, and the thing is that, that we need to understand, as the God of peace, once God reestablished peace between himself and us, or us and himself, once he closed that gap and got rid of our sins through the blood of Christ, as the God of peace, once he reestablished peace, and we experienced that peace, 
He doesn't stop there. You see, God wants to continue to provide that peace, perfect peace for us in every single hardship, every single circumstance, and every single relationship that we have. See, God didn't want to just provide peace so we could get together. God wanted us to have peace in all of those other things as well. Consider with me some verses from the New Testament that talk about the God of peace. The God of peace. Romans 15.33, going to read right through the list. Romans 15.33, now the God of peace be with you all. See, it doesn't just stop once he renews the relationship with him. Romans 16 and verse 20, we see another the God of phrase, followed by peace. Romans 16.20, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. And while you're turning there, just let me say, if you want to turn there, that's fine, it'd be awesome. Remember the church at Corinth? Remember who they were? Church at Corinth couldn't get anything right. That's basically the way I describe them. They were divided over, they couldn't get, it. They couldn't get communion right. They couldn't get peace within the ranks right. They couldn't get anything right. They were even fighting over communion, the one thing that ought to draw us all together. And as Paul writes his final words to that congregation, look what he says in 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Was it possible for that congregation in Corinth who was divided over everything, which teacher was the best teacher, chapters one and three, I mean, we can go right through the book, and they were divided in so many ways. Was it possible for them to still have peace? Could they achieve peace? Paul said you can, yeah, you can. He said, here's how you do it. And if you'll do this, the God of peace will be with you. We read in Philippians 4 in verse 9, right after the, the rejoice in the Lord always, again I will say rejoice, we know the text, how he tells them to concentrate on the good things, but then Paul says in Philippians 4 and verse 9, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Is that a lock? If we do what Paul did, and we follow his example as he has taught us to do, will the God of peace be with us? He either will or the Bible's wrong, because Paul said he would, and we know the Bible's never wrong. But we see the God of peace so many times. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, let me share with you two more. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23. Paul leaves his brethren in Thessalonica with this message. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Do you notice the personal, the personal application here? The God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you grateful God is the God of peace? Not just peace to establish it between you and him, but peace in your worst circumstance, even peace in relationships, in everything. Finally, Hebrews 13, 20, and 21 says, 
Now may the God of peace who brought you up our Lord Jesus from the dead. I love hearing those Bibles turn. I get a little excited sometimes, get a little bit ahead. My apologies. Now may the God of peace, Hebrews 13, 20 and 21, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Isn't it wonderful to know that we are children of the God of peace, who can give it to us. <laughs> but he's not done. <laughs> he is the God of even more, more incredible and unthinkably powerful blessings for all those who belong to him. For example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says, he is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our afflictions. Don't you sometimes just want to sit down and ask yourself, what did I ever do to deserve being a Christian? You know what the answer is? You couldn't do enough to deserve being a Christian, neither could I and all of us together could, neither all of our righteousness is like filthy rags, Isaiah 64 and verse 6. We would also mention what Peter states while identifying him as the God of all grace. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 10 and 11, but may the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen and settle you. You ever have days where you just, you're unsettled? Everything's kind of, not those days where just the world falls apart and the sky drops in and the floor falls. I'm just, days you're just unsettled. You're anxious, you're nervous, you're not at peace. You ever have those days? Am I the only guy? I didn't think so. And that verse tells me that the God of all grace, who has called me to his eternal glory, it's already been done. He's already called me to that eternal glory. And, and when I was baptized into Christ, I, I accepted that gift, that incredible, immense gift that God, after I struggle a while, will himself perfect and establish and strengthen and settle me. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. He is also the God of all comfort, even in our dealing with and being dealt with by one another. He is the God of all comfort, even in our dealing with and being dealt with by one another. Turn with me to Romans chapter 15, would you please? Sometimes even the closest of people hurt each other because we're people. Sometimes it can be husbands and wives, brothers and sisters in Christ, children, parents, but God is the God of all comfort, even in our dealing with and being dealt with by one another. Romans 15, beginning at verse 5, says this. Now may the God of, there's our phrase, the God of patience and comfort 
grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now, I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, for this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, load him, all you people. And again, Isaiah says, there should be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Now, verse 13, may the God of hope. See, God's not just a God who is love. He's a God of hope. He's the living God. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, God can do anything, right? Right? God, if God's going to fill you, you're going to be full. Because God don't do things halfway. And Paul says, may that God of hope fill you. Question. Are you full of joy and peace and hope tonight? Because he is the God of all of those things. Do you truly have all of those in your life tonight? It all begins by totally trusting the God of love and the love of God. It all begins by taking the God of heaven at his eternal word. It begins by loving him and him alone enough to trust him and obey him and submit to his word. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave everything for you, is now waiting right tonight to give everything to you that he has the power to give and his power is infinite. The only question is, are you willing to humble yourself and receive it, to admit that you are a sinner and that you need help and to receive all that this God is? Sometimes in our lives we do that. A long time ago I did it. Well, not compared maybe to some of you, but it was a while ago still. And sometimes along that path, we lose some of that hope and some of that joy. We sin, we fall short, we lose sight of God's grace and mercy. It happens to the best of us. If that's you tonight, you've already been baptized, but somewhere along the line, you've forgotten who you're dealing with. You've forgotten the God of love and mercy. You've lost that joy. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to do anything we can to help you get that joy back. David, even David, he said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. If you have any needs tonight, do not walk out of this building lacking. You don't need to because you serve 
the God of everything we've talked about today. If you have a need, come let us and him knows we stand and sing.